turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. We're back with another episode. Today, I'm joined by Garrett Mirguth, who's the CEO and co-founder of Directive, a next-gen performance marketing agency for software companies. He is the host of three SaaS marketing shows, SaaS Marketing Makeover, Sour and SaaS, and Two Minutes of SaaS. Garrett, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on, man? I, uh, the intros are always classic. <laughs> so glad to be here, man. Glad to be here. I know it's so funny. I like never know what someone's going to say to me when I'm in an intro. I'm like, okay, what points is, are they going to pull from my background? <laughs> yeah. You have an interesting experience. I want to get into how you even started in marketing and then get into the cool topic we're going to talk about today. Yeah, man. I kind of just fell into it. I was just like living at a house with like three other dudes or I think we had a five bedroom with five guys. Yeah. So, I mean, it was pretty like just college, you know what I mean? Like you got a house, keep it cheap. And then I was trying to figure out like what I wanted to do in consulting. So I tried to go to the big shops that didn't really work for me. So I went on Fiverr and like started because I was like trying to start my own stuff. So I'd go on Fiverr by like $5 logos. I was like, I could probably sell stuff on Fiverr too. So I just started selling stuff on Fiverr and then did some independent contractor stuff. And then, yeah, slowly started just learning marketing, reading everything that was on it. There's so much information online. So I just kind of read everything and went from there. That's super interesting. Did you learn more from all the stuff that you were reading and learning online versus what you learned in college? From the- Yeah. Well, I took economics because I thought like, I thought economics was harder, I guess. So I took that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm like weird like that. I like to do things that are more difficult. Maybe <laughs> well, that's good for me or not, I guess. So um, nah, man, like honestly, like I think I only took one marketing class in college and it was on my master's program. So like during college, I don't think I ever took a marketing class. And then when I did my master's the fourth year, because I did my degree in three years, and I did my master's the fourth year. And then I think I took one marketing class. So I didn't really learn. It wasn't digital. I mean, it, yeah, they didn't like college is so outdated, man. Like they don't have a clue. They're like, well, my one buddy took a call, like took marketing in college and they were teaching him like how to build websites in Dreamweaver. <laughs> yeah. This is like, I don't know, 2014 and WordPress is like roaring. I don't know why they're just like really like old school. Like they don't, they didn't know it, like what SEO was or PPC. It was kind of, I don't know. I feel like some universities are doing better, but mine was pretty old school and they didn't really have a great marketing program. And I wasn't interested in it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how outdated those, those systems are. And I want to start getting into this topic, which is super interesting. And I like to start with, what do you think marketers should be measured on? I mean, it depends what the goals are, right? I mean, I, I don't think there's like a universal KPI, but at the end of the day, if it don't make money, it don't make sense, right? So I think it has to go back to revenue. So, I mean, ideally, you got to go to revenue. But, you know, 
when you try to only do things that are revenue, you accidentally increase your customer acquisition cost over time and you have diminishing marginal returns on your efforts. So you got to learn to mature enough to have a balance of saying, hey, we want the attribution to be there. We want the tracking to be there. We want to understand it all, but like not investing in the biggest podcast in your niche to be a sponsor is probably stupid. So just because you can't track it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, right? So if you're, you know, selling to software companies and there's a podcast that's the biggest podcast for software, you should still advertise on it. You know what I mean? So like, I think there's a balance. And when you go to these SaaS companies and you're scoping them out, what do you see as like a common theme that they all doing wrong? I work with pretty darn good companies these days, to be honest. Like I usually learn something from them all in some way, shape or form. But with that being said, I think most of them struggle with brand. If we're being real, like I think what happens is when you have a technical founders, which a lot of the software companies do have their ability to express themselves creatively or boldly uh, struggle. So what I think they could all do better. And what I'm working on doing myself is learning from direct to consumer and some of those brands that really like, I have this belief, Daniel, that people don't pay more money in a competitive market for things that are better. Like there's, it's very difficult to charge more for something that's better. In other words, think about it like this, okay? You have a BMW and you have a Mercedes and you have a Genesis and they're all in the same class. And it's hard to charge more for your car than another car because the price is elastic. Like people will, you lose purchasing power. Like people will go to a competitor or you can build an entirely different car, enter Tesla and then you can start to see their market cap skyrocket because they're not competing at the same game. They built something different. And so my point being here is we got to focus less on being better as software companies and more on being different. And if we can get different down, that's when we start to get like increasing marginal returns on our investments on capital. And when we start to get leverage and our brand starts to grow, does that make sense? Yeah. It's kind of how, I mean, Tesla's a great example. Drift's a great example of category creation, right? So, like, you can use your marketing to create a new category out of saying, like, chatbots is not a new software, right? It, but they created conversational marketing, which was a new category that nobody ever heard of. And they rebranded a, a software that has been out for years just because of one statement around conversational marketing. Now, conversational marketing right, is I think I was going to say too, Daniel, like they also made like forms the enemy, right? They, they made a clear enemy, right? And then they said, we're going to kill forms. And so they had a clear enemy and in a category. And I think that's how they did it. Yeah, that's a super good point. It's um, the Salesforce model of like stand for something, which is a crucial way. Before I get into the the six tactics we were, we're going to talk about, I want to just ask you like, how do you define like a qualified buyer because this is the problem with a lot of things is people say like okay i have a bunch of mqls but like the mql the name of mql is kind of skewed because like marketing kind of defines that so it could be some people could say it's a content download it's a it's someone who we that answered one email or something like that like how would you define that 
Yeah, I think what I try to do is think of it like a model, right? So if you get all nerdy on it, right? And like in a statistical regression model, right? You have what's called a T-stat. It means that one of these variables is really significant with an outcome you want. And what I found is MQLs aren't statistically significant traditionally to your forecast. So what I, like I learned this the hard way, right? So I was planning, I believe this was a Q3. Yeah, Q3, I was doing my Q3 planning. And I built a model that kind of water, like that was like a waterfall, right? So you started in, like visitor impressions, actually. I started impressions, I went to visitors, then I went to MQLs, then I went to SQLs, then I went to ops, and then I went to deals, I went to revenue. What I found is my whole forecast got screwed because there was no correlation and statistical significance between MQL and revenue. <laughs> and so I hit my MQL goals and revenue didn't hit. What I did notice is that there was a statistical significance between opportunities, in my case, proposals given, in software's case, maybe trials had or demos delivered. And that's how I do my forecasts now. So to answer your question, I think you need to treat them as what they are, a insignificant variable that doesn't necessarily drive revenue and maybe go to SQL, which is like sales qualified lead. So MQL traditionally is pre-sales exposure. SQL is sales exposure, right? And then opportunity is like pitch. So what I found is like, as long as you can get to the point where sales has had a conversation, then that's usually a better point of significance than marketing, doing some type of demographic or behavioral scoring model or blended scoring model that says, you know, if someone downloads a white paper and reviews our pricing page three times, then they're an MQL. Uh, I just haven't found that to be statistically significant. What I found interesting, and this is the, the part that I, I'm going to love talking about, is you've found by using data six tactics that you could, people can use today to increase this qualified buyers. Could you go into those six tactics that you have found that work? Yeah, I got more than six, but we can talk about those tactics, I guess. Is there one you wanted to start with? Let's go with whatever you think is like the most, the six yeah. most important. Yeah, okay. Well, I think one of the tactics that works that nobody really does, like I was talking about earlier, is podcast advertising. Really, really affordable and a great impression compared to like YouTube ads or display ads or programmatic I actually really enjoy podcast ads. I've seen them work really, really well for my own business. Closed a lot of, you know, six-figure plus contracts from people hearing us on podcasts. And they're not expensive is a thing. So what I found to work the best, and I haven't tried mainstream podcasts yet. So I'm actually curious, like, um, like I like to show part of my take. Uh, it's a sports podcast. And I hear like brands like... Uh, zip recruiter or something like that on there so i haven't tried going like mainstream podcasts but what i've always done is niche podcasts so like a marketing podcast or a SaaS podcast or an seo podcast or a paid media or a ppc podcast those work really really well actually and then the ad format for those wondering okay yeah like it's one thing to get the placement it's another thing to get the format to work is we have the host tell a story of a client who had a pre and post directive experience, right? So the ad goes like, hey, everybody, let me tell you a little bit about Clear Company. You know, before Clear Company hired directive, they were stuck in the ice age. They were struggling with like after directive. And it's this whole story of like before and after. Those types of ads have been really successful for us. 
That's super interesting. And I also think there's another side of podcasting that people a podcasting that actually gains leads is actually that I found is pretty well works for it pretty well is actually having your own podcast and inviting potential leads on your podcast, which yeah. it's such a soft reach out that people will be like, Oh sure. Like you're not asking or for anything, yeah. but they will come to your, they'll come on your podcast and then they have like this brand affinity with you because you did something nice for them and they'll always remember your brand when you do that. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that, that can be a great way to do it um, as well, undoubtedly. Cool. I, the, another one I want to talk about is this G2 and review yep. tactic. Um, I think that's yeah. pretty interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the concept there is called discoverability. So, what I found is a lot of software companies, you know, pre-COVID had a large part of their marketing budget in field marketing, events and things like that. I'm sure, did you guys, do you guys spend pre-COVID pretty heavily on events? We did a good amount, but it was not like, we were more on paid yeah. ad, ads and stuff like that. But yeah, we did spend on events. Yeah, no, 100%. So what I found is like, a lot of people do a good job of like, let's say drift, right? Creating a category of, conversational marketing or chat stuff like that but then you search best chatbot software and then drift didn't show up in other words people were generating demand but they aren't capturing it and so my thought on a funnel is you start from the bottom and work your way up because you're at the closest point to value and so the concept of discoverability is that the search engines have changed so when someone searches for the product or service you sell with purchase intent so let's say um, field management software right when they take field management, they label it with software or field management software and they label it with reviews or they take field management software and they label it with top or best. And there's purchase intent. Those are going to be your highest CPCs in Google ads. These are going to be those moments where you want your brand to be discoverable. And so the thing people used to do in the past, was they would try to rank organically. But if you go look at those queries, ironically, like individual websites aren't ranking anymore. And I call this the Yelp and the Amazon effect, right? Google knows that consumers care more about what other people are saying about your brand than what you say about your brand. So they're surfacing these review sites. Now, the thing about the review sites is they're all fake. They're all pay to play. And so when you do like an LTV CAC model and you look at all your channels, I've found that these review sites are oftentimes some of the most profitable channels to acquire customers because they have a higher close rate and a similar cost per acquisition because people did their research and selected you similar to like a referral. So yeah. I have a question on that because what I found on review sites and I'm wondering like, what do you tell companies about this? Because what happens is some of these review sites is when they submit a lead to the company, they submit five other, like four other companies to other, like four leads to other companies too. So it's basically a battle to like speed to lead and like who can get there first. Like what do you tell companies on how to like capture that attention fast when someone does submit a lead. Yeah, I mean, if you've got a slow sales org and a bad product, what are we doing here? Yeah, that, that's well said. I mean, yeah, I think that's the, like you're, you're, you're literally competing against four people. So like your, if your product's not better, it's hard to win that game anyway. I want to play a game that I'm not playing against anyone. I mean, that's boring as hell. I hate RPGs. I get so bored, man. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to like, 
I want to play a game where I'm competing, man. I like to play like FIFA Ultimate Team or I like to play, you know, like Warzone or something if I'm playing a video game because I'm competing. Well, same thing with business, man. Like if your business isn't good enough to compete, what are we doing? Yep, I agree. And I think like, like you said before, I think we're in a, a market of choice now. And one, one thing you were saying earlier, which I, I totally agree, is like brand is what's going to separate you. Like everything else is becoming like a commodity. And brand is like, I saw Gary V talk about this yesterday. And this is the same before, like all, most products is like anybody can go to China or something to make the same shoe Nike does. But that swoosh is worth billions and trillions of dollars. It's like people buy it for the swoosh. They don't buy it for like the shoe. Like they buy it for what they feel. They buy it for that brand name, which is like, so we've gone two great ones so far. So podcasting and G2 crowd. What other ones would you add for people to find qualified buyers um, that they can do today? Yeah, I think the best one, that's working better than anything else right now is gift giving. So we're very stingy as marketers I've found, and it's usually due to fear and a lack of understanding of our financials. And so what I mean by that is we let's say know our cost per lead, what we need to target as a cost per lead. And by the way, most advertisers, no matter how sophisticated they say they are in the B2B or software space, they don't really know that number that well, but let's assume they do. And it's a hundred dollars. What I found is as marketers, we've been like brainwashed to give all hundred dollars to the ad platform. Does that make sense? Yep. Totally makes sense. And so what I do is I try to try to create leverage by giving some of my costs per lead or customer acquisition cost to my prospect. And it's been the most effective thing I've ever done. So what I mean by that is like, for directive, let's say I could pay uh, $1,000 for a proposal. So I'm going to show up to a proposal based on my math, my average order value, my LTV, gross margins, all that. I know what I can pay to get an LTV CAC ratio of greater than three. I can spend, let's say in this case, as a you know fictitious number of $1,000. Well, what I've seen people do is they then try to run, let's say, smart broad campaigns or target CPA on Google ads, whatever that is, to get someone do a proposal and they'll do offline conversion tracking if they're really advanced and they'll import their Salesforce data back to Google ads. They're using smart algorithms and they'll try to target a thousand dollar cost per proposal. Unfortunately, there's still a lot of psychological friction for the prospect. I don't know your brand. I just want to know price and I don't have time. Mm-hmm. That's the game we're all playing, right? I don't care about your brand. I don't have time. And I just want to know the price. I mean, that really is the game. And so or just let me see the dang product, right? And what I do now is I give a gift card for them to take the meeting. What that does is it gets my conversion rate from 2%, let's say to 7%. Well, those five points is worth more than the $100 gift card. So what I found is like right now, we can drive leads from LinkedIn at $140 for a proposal on our exact firmographic and psychographic person when beforehand it was costing us $540 just because I'm giving the money to the prospect instead of to LinkedIn and I'm getting them to take an action because the value prop is so high and it really works. That's super interesting. I, I see companies do that. And I also see like the other argument here is like some people are, what do you say to companies who say that 
those prospects are just going to come on a meeting for a free gift card. What do you say? Yeah. I, I see a lot of like that, 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 that argument happens all the time. Like you're buying for that lead. Like they just are coming for this. Like, what do you say to that? First off, they're wrong. hundred percent wrong. The data proves it. Number one. Number two, it's unwise and immature of them. And just frankly disconnected because if you're doing this on LinkedIn and it is your ideal customer persona, why wouldn't you pay a hundred dollars to talk to your ideal customer? Mm-hmm. And if your product's not good enough, what's the point? So they go, well, some people just want the gift card, right? So what do you do? You teach your sales team. It's very easy. Person who hops in the call, it's obvious they just want the gift card and the conversation is going nowhere. What do you do? You say, hey, Daniel, thanks for hopping on the call today. Now, how can we help you? Oh, well, you know, just kind of wanted to see what you guys are about. Not really in the market, but, you know, the $100 sound nice. You say, oh, that makes sense, Dan. I mean, obviously, a guy of your stature, you've been in the industry for a while. Your title, $100 doesn't mean much to you. So, obviously, it's not about the gift card. So, like, w- what can we do to help you really do your job better? You just call it out. Nobody wants to be a cheapskate. The next thing you know, you have a great conversation. You push them through the funnel. That's a great point, I think. Like, one, you're, like kind of being respectful and saying like, yeah, I'm paying. I like the gift card approach because you're paying for their time, which like time is valuable for people. Like, and then I think another point that you made that's pretty key is, is adjusting like talk tracks. I think a lot of people make that mistake is that like, okay, like they don't know how to counteract the, the talk track part of it. They just sit, they, those people come on, they have a car, like they just do a demo and they don't talk anything about like why they're on that demo. And I think that's a crucial mistake. A lot of, well, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Daniel, do you want to pay a thousand dollars for a lead or $500 for a lead? Mm -hmm. Yep. So who cares if you gave them a hundred bucks at the end of the day, it's still real money. You're either giving a thousand to LinkedIn or you're giving 400 to LinkedIn and a hundred to a prospect and you're keeping five. Mm -hmm. What I've also seen is like, if you found like a funnel that also converts very well, even if cost per leads higher than usual, like usually like if you closing at a higher rate and you're having more down the funnel, like really what you said from the beginning, it's, it's sales, right? So some people are like all about like, I want to optimize to like a $5 cost per lead. But like, if you look down the funnel to sales, there's no sales. Like, Well, uh, yeah. And that's like a big mistake in B2B what they do, right, is like the stereotypical B2C, e-com, low average order value media buyer or marketer is constantly trying to lower their customer acquisition costs. The problem with consistently lowering your customer acquisition costs is lowering your customer acquisition costs oftentimes has an inverse relationship to average order value. In other words, you're accidentally hurting yourself. So in other words, sometimes and that's why you need the offline conversion tracking. You need to be able to re-import data from Salesforce back in because sometimes like field management software is your most expensive query, but it's your most expensive keyword because it has the highest average order value. And so what you're accidentally doing is out like a lot of times like advertisers are giving themselves like a round of applause while entirely screwing a company's revenue because they lowered their customer acquisition costs. Yep. Super true. And I think would you would you say i mean like it's competitive for a reason i mean brand searches are obviously always and like also like 
non-branded high intent keywords are like very yeah. key i mean um so your competitors is stupid is always wrong yeah like i can't believe these guys advertise on this keyword they must be wasting so much money or yep. maybe they're not like you know what i mean like to think other people are stupid always gets you in trouble yep i agree assuming is like the worst thing so far i've i've got we've got podcast which i think is cool review sites and gifts what is something else that someone could do today to increase that qualified lead yeah i think it goes back to what you were saying earlier one of the things that has worked well for us is like partner marketing but in our content so like i run you know like you said in your intro a lot of shows um but they're usually like with a guest who's got an audience and that guest and their audience is my audience. In other words, like I do a SaaS marketing makeover show where we do a live audit in 30 minutes with a SaaS marketing leader in house. So the other day I had the CMO of Terminus on with me. Well, Terminus would be an ideal customer and then his audience would all be ideal customers. So first off, it's a great show. He's awesome guy. And then having him on fits my strategic business. So I think one of the coolest things you can do is like, always bake promotion into your content by involving thought leaders that have your audience as their audience. So like if you're going to do a piece of content, your long form guide, go get three people with influence from your industry to give you quotes for the guide. Let them know when it goes live, see if they'll share it. Next thing you know, you've got promotion baked into every piece of content. So I think learning to involve your industry with your content is a really wise way to do it without also doing like the complete outsource roundup post, like 40 experts said X and it's all like just crap. So like, I think you still got to own the quality of content and then involve other people. And it gives you some promotion. I think that is an, a key mistake you also said right there is good content, right? Rises to the top, bad content gets diluted. And we're in a world of people seeing so many ads, so much content that, you have to create something that's value add to your audience. Otherwise, like it's not going to go anywhere. Um, and I do love the approach of bring someone on that also like Terminus has marketers as their their audience. Like their marketers follow Terminus. Marketers are using Terminus. Software marketers. Yeah, software too. marketers. Yeah. So that you even going like niche to go yep, down 100%. to that. So that's awesome. Um, so we have four now, which is super cool that I think are unique. And I think like not many people are doing most of these or doing most of these well. So what would you add as like a, a fifth bucket to this? Yeah, I think everybody's devaluing video. I know I did. So I think what you need to do is like a lot of the reasons why your brand advertising doesn't work is because display ads don't catch attention. I think, you know, too many people are skimping on creative, like I said earlier. Well, one of the areas they're skimping is they still try to do better creative as long as it's not video because video is expensive. But video can be affordable because you can go hire an entry-level videographer who's exceptionally talented and work with them, right? And so my point being there is like what I found is like for SaaS companies, one of the best call to actions is watch a free demo video. And so what you do is you still have the demo video gated, but instead, like if I go to, let's say like service channel, where it says get demo. Like if you change that call to action to watch demo, what I've found, and you can still gate the video, your, your conversion rate is going to skyrocket because you're decreasing psychological friction and you're increasing your value proposition. In other words, the traditional value prop of ex the value exchange that occurs in software is I give you all my personal information so that I can see your product. 
And then you give me a landing page that says, thank you. Someone from sales will reach out in the next 24 business hours. I didn't get shit. And I just gave you all my personal information. Mm -hmm. So what I've found work and I have data behind this over the last seven years is if I can get the prospect value in the transaction immediately, I drastically improve my conversion rate. Sales development reps on the inbound side or AEs are have way better conversations because the product has already viewed, like the prospect has already viewed the product and now they come armed with great questions and ammunition. So yeah, man, honestly, like I think one of the best things we can do is start to integrate video. Like let's say you run a free trial. Okay. So someone signs up for free trial. How can we use video to better activate them from trial to customer? Right? Like how can we use video to do a better display advertising and video campaigns and all these different things. So I think video is something that I frankly see most SaaS companies doing like just like crappy, like animated videos that look like they're knockoffs instead of actually like trying to do real video that shows their people. Like you have real engineers that build your product. Why not highlight those people? Why not make your brand human and like bring it to life? Um, so I think there's a lot we can do with video uh, as organizations that frankly people are, leaving money on the table because text and images don't explain as well as video does in a short amount of time. Do you have any like examples of companies that are crushing this, this like model, like, or is it just like, are there not many that are taking advantage of this opportunity? Our portfolio. So the, you know, 65, whatever software companies we're working with right now, they're all starting to do this. Uh, We brought video internal for this very reason, because What's happening is all these advertisers are stuck doing Captera, G2, software advice, Google ads, and LinkedIn, all with high initial customer acquisition costs and diminishing marginal returns because they're auction oriented. So every time a competitor enters the marketplace, it's increasing the initial cost of that lead while their price is staying essentially fixed and creating diminishing marginal returns from these channels. And so what they're trying to all do is they're trying to do display ads. They're trying to do account-based advertising. They're trying to do content syndication. They're trying to do programmatic, but they're all failing because they're using display ads with safe brands that aren't memorable. And so, yeah, man, I mean, there's a lot of ways this can be better, uh, but that's why I'm investing in it and focusing on it is because without video, your activation rate is too low and your ability to deliver brand impressions that matter is also too low. So there's multiple areas for video to fit. Cool. So we are, we're killing it right now. So you're dropping some knowledge here. So we have podcast review sites, gifts, partner marketing, video. Um, I'm interested in what a sixth one would be. And we may do a bonus one if you have one that you can share. Yeah, yeah. I would just say like referrals. You know, I think a lot of our referral programs stink at organizations and you know, if you look at the math, the referrals usually, at least in my business, the ones I've been involved in, have the highest close rate. So in other words, they're, they have the most leverage. So getting those is always really helpful. They close better, usually higher average order values, um, retention rates better because they came from a trusted source, like all of these reasons. But we get skimpy with it. You know, we ask for a $25 gift card if you give us a referral. Like my advice to everybody is like, do the math, like do a real lifetime value customer acquisition cost analysis for referrals. In other words, if your close rate's normally 20, take your 45% close rate from referrals, redo your math, and then actually max that out, like actually spend. So like 
we'll donate $500 to a nonprofit of your choice if you give us a referral as a customer directive. And then we make it about a cause, right? So I think if you really run the math, you're drastically devaluing your capital allocation into referrals uh, as a chief revenue officer or CMO or someone like that. Uh, and I think we all can do a heck of a lot better focusing on that, if that makes sense. I mean, and our referrals, just to add to that, are the, the best types of leads because word of mouth is king pretty much and people believe people and their friends and probably if you which people don't a lot of marketers don't do which shocks me is like they don't look at like the ltv of like these leads that come in which is like they're the ltv of someone who who doesn't want to let down their friend because they've been on a platform is so much higher which a lot of people are like okay we got this lead but it's like look at down the funnel, like how, how many months did that person stay on? That's a metric that I, I just get shocked that people don't look at LTV as marketers. Um, oh, yeah. Cool. So we've got six great ones, and I want to see if we can get a, a good bonus one that out of this. Yeah. So we have podcast I'll give you sites. one bonus, Daniel. I'll give yeah. you one bonus. I love, right, a good, so I love one bonus. I call this the one question. Most of us focus all our time on acquisition and not enough time on activation. Mm -hmm. And so what I call this is the one question. So when someone fills out a demo form or a trial form or whatever that is, we need to ask them one question that's truly going to define how we want to sell them in our marketing automation. Okay. So a perfect example, and I'll show you what this, how I do this is we have a product at directive called Institute. It's $99 a month, and it teaches you how we do paid media, SEO, CRO, analytics, things like that. It's a really cool course. It's an amazing course, 40 hours of video, really professional, all with like quizzes and a certification. Great course. Okay? Now, what was happening was people were signing up like crazy, but we were only getting 2% of trials to become customers. And the reason was, is we couldn't sell our different personas differently because all we were doing was asking for their email or their you know, name, email, company. It didn't really do anything for us. So what we instituted was this thing called one question. And that was, what's your role? And what we would do then is someone would say student, right? And then they'd start their trial. And then their very first email would be finally the course you never got in college. And all of a sudden, we're selling them on an email drip campaign for them and their needs as a student. Business owner, wonder what your agency's really doing? Great course, right? And so you start doing that, all of a sudden, activation rate went up into the double digits overnight by just focusing on one question. For directive, I'll ask, what service line are you interested in? They say paid media, I give them a bunch of paid media assets. They say SEO, give them SEO. If not, you give them like one SEO one, one paid media one one generic one, a case study. And you don't, your marketing automation stinks because you don't know enough. And so, yeah, the one question you can ask is drastically important for lowering your customer acquisition costs and really activating the people you're acquiring. Yeah, I mean, that is crucial. I think it's basically putting them on a, a choose your own journey path, right? So it's like, okay, your journey is I'm a student. Here's the path that you're on. People, I've seen people do job title. I've seen people do industry pathing. I've seen people do, it. but I don't see them really do it on their like 
subscriber form as well, which is a, a great place to probably do it as what you're talking about is like, okay, yeah. they subscribe and then hit them with everything with that. If they I just haven't found that like, if you're a CEO, you're going to get that drastically different of information. That's going to like, I feel like you have to be really careful with the one question you ask because title is tough. You know, like titles are every company labels and their titles differently. They don't all feel like, I feel like you got to get more personal to get the con. Like, like if I just, they just told me their age, I wouldn't know if they were like, I don't know. I just feel like it's important to get explicit with that. So you can get that, that truly valuable content to them. I mean, that's key. I think, especially like, I'll give you an example, service tied in, right? We service a bunch of industries. And if they come in and we're serving them like plumbing, HVAC, electrician, and they just will be like, I'm here, just I want to get HVAC content and how to help my HVAC company and how to grow my HVAC company. They don't care about like, how do I grow my Yeah. So cool. That's, That's a super good tip. This has been awesome. I got some super valuable things and I think my audience will get super valuable things out of this. And I actually have one last question for you and then I'll leave it with time for you just to drop some where people could follow you, how they could find directive and your, your podcast and shows that you have. But my last question for you, and I I'm starting this question with you on this podcast, but like what, what is a prediction you have for 2021 in marketing? I would just say that the kind of the, the shift is finally over. In other words, like the companies that weren't digital are now. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to really understand what our opportunities are for our businesses. And I think if you're in digital, you haven't seen it happen yet because budgets haven't been reset. So what I mean by that is like, this year, 2021, this coming up year will be the first year where like marketing budgets in B2B, where field marketing is drastically less than digital. And what I'm starting to see is sales development is also decreasing because pickup rates have gone to crap because it's an election year. So everybody stopped picking up their phones because of robodials and because their inboxes are overwhelmed and there's not this personal connection. So without the personal connection, the SDR teams are starting to have diminishing marginal returns. So I manage, you know, I oversee a team of SDRs and like they have a director and everything, but I'm still like kind of function as chief revenue officer. And what I'm seeing is like in 2021 sales dev, like more budgets is going to keep going to digital. Uh, and, and that's going to keep growing. Cool. That's a great prediction. And I love that because we're seeing that too, is the election comment of the robo dials. Cause I think like, People are just like ignoring phone calls and you see connect rate, especially closer to the election, closer to the election this year where there was ad spend for these people and we're we're off the roof and all that crazy stuff. But this has been great. And I want to give you the opportunity to plug whatever you want to plug because I think you have some cool shows. And I do love the Sour and Sass because one of my friends, Sarah Evans, was on there. I love her. Uh, Yeah, so I would love to where people could find you. Yeah, yeah. So if you want to follow me, I'm on Twitter uh, at gmergoot, first initial, last name. I'm on LinkedIn, Garrett Mergoot. You know, if you're a software company and you're looking to grow, fill out our form, talk to the team. They're the real deal. Uh, the group here is really, really talented. We don't work on many accounts per person, right? I think we got like 65 accounts. We got over 50 people, like really high 
touch, white glove consulting environment. Uh, we're going to learn your business and we're going to help you grow. We got a lot of frameworks and approaches that work and data to prove it. So yeah, we'd love to help you out. And if you're looking to help yourself, check out Society. It's a free Slack group for software marketers. And it's awesome. It's called Directive Society. It's got a, I think we just crossed 400 members, right? Like a 399 or 401, like really active. There's no selling going on. And my whole growth team, so all the people who are doing the tactics we're talking about today, help you in there free of charge. And like some really sharp, like big company, like SaaS marketers spend a lot of money uh, with some really unique data. So go check it out. But um, yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. Yeah. And he might actually pay for your dinner if you get a demo. So. Yeah, you're good, you're good. Go, go get some free dinner, man. Talk to our sales team. Oh. Yeah. I, I'm not, I, the only reason to say that is I got that DM and I messaged Ashley and I was like, hey, I got your DM for Uber gift card. And I just, yeah. uh, okay, great having you. This is going to be awesome. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Thanks, Daniel.